So, settling back in, um, the practices that we do um, are are actually extremely simple. Um, and uh, straightforward, really. <clears throat> and one of the things that that is um, necessary as a as a part of this, say, Buddhist practice, uh, is is that we that we keep doing it. Uh, the uh, um, it's like uh, remember uh, my teacher Ajahn Chah you know, saying that uh, you know you you study the teachings of the Buddha this much and you practice this much <laughs> so that that uh, that's a uh, uh, sense of of uh, getting that proportion. Um, so that uh, we uh, uh, we have these uh, uh, teachings that we um, you know they're not that that complicated that difficult uh, we all breathe we all walk we all sit walk lie down stand uh, those are the say the four basic postures of meditation sitting walking standing lying down I think we're all capable of that um, the uh, uh, aspects of of uh, uh, say the, the of course there are many different meditation techniques methods uh, in 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 the Buddhist teachings um, but uh, um, they're, uh, they're the most common one that the Buddha did teach, if one looks through the scriptures, so the most common one that he did teach was mindfulness of breathing. And um, there, uh, 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 you know, there's other, uh, of course, teachings, but they do come back to just understanding the body and the mind, uh, that, that fundamental experience of, of being a human being and learning how to uh, understand our uh, uh, the conditions that we live in um, and to to be able to investigate it uh, from a place of, of what uh, how is this affecting me uh, so that that um, when the Buddha points to uh, impermanence uh, and uh, I mean, another word that the Buddha can uses all the time. So, the, in terms of the the universal characteristics of existence, that uh, anicca, impermanence, uncertainty, inconstancy, um, dukkha in terms of uh, so often translated as suffering, but I mean, it's just like, say, yeah, anxiety, uh, stress, 
uh, discontent, uh, dis-ease, dissatisfaction. Uh, it's just, it's really ordinary. Everybody experiences that. Uh, and then the characteristic of anatta, uh, of not-self. Um, and that sense of uh, what we tend to um, assume, uh, you know, what is self, what is me, what is mine, um, is uh, yeah, we tend not to investigate it very clearly, and and then we we take our say the experience of the body uh, as this is me, this is who I am, this is myself. Uh, our feelings, whether they're pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, uh, this is this is who I am, what I am. This is myself. This is mine. Um, our perceptions in terms of of uh, memories are, are what we what we place importance on. Um, uh, take that as this is self. This is who I am. Uh, mental formations in terms of thoughts, emotion, um, whether they're wise or foolish, whether they're intelligent or completely off the wall, uh, we take them, this is me, this is mine, this is who I am. So this sense, and consciousness itself, just the sense of of, uh, cognizing and knowing of of, uh, uh, um, the, uh, the world around us, the sense contact that we have. Uh, this is we we assume that, and and the Buddha is not self, and that's a a uh, uh, it's not a and I think it's interesting because one of um, everybody will know that that uh, the Buddha teaches the middle way. I mean that's a fundamental. If you've been introduced to the Buddha's teachings at all, then you realize okay, the one of the signature characteristics of the Buddhist teaching is it's called the middle way or the middle path and um, and this teaching of not self is actually another expression of the middle path or middle way in the sense that uh, again uh, using the coming back to the language of the Buddha uh, the sense of the word atnata um, so atta means self, in the sense of self, I, me, mine. It's the basis of that, and so that, that stance of, of me and mine. But then the other extreme is vitratta, which means negation of self, annihilation of self, pushing away of self. And atnatta is your middle way. It's not self. It doesn't mean that we don't experience it, we don't feel that way, we don't have a um, um, uh, say Buddhists don't express um, uh, from a place of, of personal pronouns. Um, it, I mean, I've had, as an abbot of a monastery, I've had people write letters asking to come and ordain or to practice at the monastery. It's been a huge amount of effort to write the letter so that there's no personal pronouns. 
There's a lot of self in that. <laughs> uh, so you know, it's just a convention that uh, we rely on and the world functions around. Um, but it gets heavy when we carry it. Uh, and that's where, let's say, this not-self is the opportunity to not carry it. We don't have to carry it around. So that, uh, so these aspects, so that the, uh, the, the today, I mean, the doorway is impermanence, which is is uh, uh, you know very. Uh, I think it's a tangible uh, expression of the characteristics of experience and the way that we do create anxiety around the experience of impermanence. But I think it's helpful to look at the the uh, uh, that whole picture of the Buddha pointing to these universal characteristics, and it's by seeing them clearly that we have the opportunity for peace and for freedom. So that being willing to look, okay, this uh, experience is impermanent and and it's inconstant it's uncertain it's unsure and uh, yeah how do I feel about that how do well, how am I experiencing it how am I relating to it because uh, I could be really happy about it or I could be really kind of terrified about it and, but but it's a characteristic of experience uh, so that being able to, to to look at that, and and one of the things that the uh, the Buddha points to is the uh, in terms of investigation, uh, being able to um, realize that there's the impermanence is oftentimes hidden by the continuity that we experience, or that we feel, or we see there's like there's a there's this impression of continuity it's like um, I mean just looking at a, a human body and uh, I say there there it feels like it's really constant and uh, 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 but of course it doesn't take that much reflection to sort of uh, no these are really impermanent phenomena uh, and uh, but even when we uh, our impression say even of ourselves is is there's a certain constancy there and that that uh, you know and it, even when we look at a mirror especially as you as say for myself I'm going what am I about 67 and uh, that's getting old. <laughs> so that that, uh, but that isn't how I perceive myself, you know, in the sense of because uh, we perceive ourselves. Saying in terms of of capability or energy, it always goes back to some sort of idea about oneself. Uh, so that that. Uh, uh, but you know, reality keeps impinging, <laughs> which is great because that's that's where we have the opportunity to 
to relinquish, to let go, and to, okay, it's because it's not self anyway. Uh, but that the, the desperate attempt to, to, to prop it up. Uh, and then, of course, all the, the, the phenomena around us, uh, that, that sense of, of change is, is, uh, and, and uncertainty, uh, is, doesn't have to be a source of anxiety. It can be a source of, of confidence and clarity. Say, oh, this is the way it is. But, the, so, but to reflect in terms of where is that continuity uh, being? Because where do we think that continuity is displaying itself? And then to look more closely, say, oh, okay, underneath that, 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 that uh, display of what we think is, there's continuous continuity, constancy. And then there's, a, there's more happening there. And that takes investigation, so that just being able to recognize it. The, the experience of, of, say, the universal characteristic of dukkha, as the Buddha says, is, is hidden by, by changing postures. It's just, we're always moving away from something that is uncomfortable. So whatever... It's just it's 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 the habit of the mind, habit of the human condition, and it doesn't mean that uh, we have to we have to be miserable in order to see dukkha, but it's more like um, being willing not to follow that first impulse to move away. It's that willingness to be be present, and it was. the uh, when we, uh, for myself and many of us who trained with Ajahn Chah, uh, we would go to him with difficulties or questions and and uh, uh, things that we wanted him to solve for us or problems or and so often. Um, like really often, his his answer was, "Can you just be patient with it?" And it would just would be really frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, I can't be patient with it. <laughs> but that and that because but also the sense of that patience from the the the, the in, in, from the Buddhist sense. Kanti uh, is you, you realize that Kanti, uh, say in the Buddha's teachings, is a, um, it's, a it's a virtue that is uh, really lifted up as a part and parcel of the, the tools of liberation. Um, and I think the way that we tend to r- relate to patience is is uh, you know patience is just putting up with something that you don't like, waiting for it to be over. <laughs> and, and I don't think that's a liberating quality. <laughs> and so, but they, but see, kanti, or patience from the, the, the Buddhist perspective, is much more the, the willingness to be present with what we're experiencing. Because then it starts to reveal itself. 
And so then, especially with dukkha, where the, the habit is to change the posture, whether it's a physical posture or a mental posture, an emotional posture, uh, a posture of self, and we, we keep moving away from what's a bit uncomfortable. So the, the, in terms of practice, is to be lifting that up as a possibility. Okay, can I be, can I be patient with this? Can I be present with this? Maybe that's a better word because it's. Can I just be present with this for 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 a while? And and then you start realizing, oh, okay. Thing when one, and it's that being present with a, an awareness and attention and alertness, that. Uh, the uh, one I think there's a certain confidence arises in the, in in the heart where one yeah I don't don't need to be intimidated by this experience also a sense of clarity of getting a context for okay this is this is uh, uh, this is uh, uh, it's like one of the uh, refrains in in uh, uh, Ajahn Sumedho's teaching. Ajahn Sumedho is the senior Western disciple of of Ajahn Chah, and one of the refrains that comes through his teachings over and over again is this: "This it's like this," and it's sort of okay. You're experiencing um, something that's pleasant. Well, it's, it's like this. You're feeling something unpleasant. It's like this. Learning how this is, you're feeling happy. Happiness is like this. Feeling sad. Sad is like this. Sort of like that willingness to say, oh, it's like this. And all of a sudden, there's that ability to, oh, it's just, it's like this. It's, it's just this much. It's not anything more than that. It doesn't have to be anything uh, more complicated than that. It's just this way. And and, uh, and then you you get a, a context for it. So that that sense of of uh, uh, the impermanence, unsatisfactory, non-self. And then with the non-self is sort of saying, well, that which is impermanent, changing, uncertain, unsure, that which is. Uh, dukkha, okay, it's unsatisfactory, stressful, anxiety, conducive to discontent, disease. Is that what I want to be self? Why, to be myself? I don't think so. And so it's sort of, oh, I can let that be anatta. It can be, that is the sense. Okay, it's not that it's not there. It's not that it's, it doesn't have an impact. It isn't as if, it, if it, that we don't feel anything, but it's sort of, uh, it's there, and I don't have to make anything more of it. It is not self. That which is not mine, uh, I don't have to get overly concerned about. I don't have to get obsessed about. It's not mine. Uh, the things that are... Because uh, where, we, where we place that label of mine... Uh, um, that you know, so many of the problems, conflicts arise. And, uh, 
So that, that just sort of, you know, saying, oh, it's not mine. Uh, as Ajahn Amaro recently has been, been uh, uh, teaching a, uh, using a refrain, something that he learned from, uh, he's living in England now, and because uh, there's a lot of contact with the, uh, different European nationalities, and uh, now the monastery in England is is uh, probably two thirds, a third English, and two thirds other nationalities. So it's very diverse, and so you end up sort of. Anyway, he's come across a across a, a Polish folk saying, and. Uh, uh, which is really has good dhamma in it. Not my monkey, not my circus. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, anatta, anatta, not my monkey, not my circus. Because <laughs> yes, uh, uh, it feels so much, oh, this is mine, this is me, this is myself. And so just to be able to have that, that uh, rejoinder, uh, no, not my monkey, not my circus. And do I have to really take this on? And again, it's sort of, okay, we might have to deal with something skillfully. We might need to be really, you know, apply our discernment and wisdom uh, in a proper way. But we don't have to carry the burden of me. And so that's an incredible relief. So these these teachings of... Uh, just anicca dukkanatta, I mean, they're kind of the, that impermanence, suffering, not self, is not just to slap a label on it and somehow it's going to be insight. Uh, we have to lift it up and investigate it, lift it up and feel it, lift it up, experience. How do I work with this skillfully? How do I, how do I incline my attention uh, to something that allows uh, a sense of, of peace and clarity uh, and how do I relinquish the things that could pull at me and want to uh, create agitation or anxiety uh, so that that's, that that's a function of discernment but it does come back to a fundamental say awareness attention that we keep building through our our, our, our day and uh, through our meditation, but also through our uh, how we interact and carry the Dhamma practice in our daily life. So, I thought I would uh, open up the afternoon uh, with some questions and answers. Just after the meal, it's probably not a great time to be sitting meditation. <laughs> so that... Uh, um, if we uh, just open up that opportunity, uh, people have uh, any questions uh, that uh, uh, I could respond to? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Ah, okay. I was wondering about that. Uh, thank you for, for coming here today. Um, I was just wondering, I, I got here a little late this morning, so maybe you talked about it this a little bit before but as far as attachment and if you could 
maybe talk about attachment and uh, how it relates to the theme or okay yeah I think one, one of the uh, aspects of, of attachment um, is uh, again I think it's helpful sometimes knowing some of the the uh, say Buddhist jargon and uh, uh, which I talked about a bit this morning but the word that's normally used for for attachment um, it's uh, word is upadana in, in the scriptural language and an, a, a literal translation could be fuel so it's like the fuel for our, our, our suffering uh, the fuel for our, our sort of complications uh, so that that's a, when we start to look at okay well how am I how, how am I fueling this? What am I what What am I throwing on the fire of my my chaos already? Uh, so then, the, sort of saying, well, that's because sometimes we we it's easy to come from a uh, see the a, a doctrinal or idealistic like I should have no attachment, um, and uh, and then when we idealize what 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 would that be like to live with no attachment then um, actually it gets more complicated <laughs> because it, it seems well you know what does that mean because it so I think it's important to sort of look at it in terms of a experience what happens when I when I feed or f- give fuel to, to something does it grow does it get stronger does it get more uh, complicated and robust? Uh, and particularly in terms of attachment being uh, the, the aspects which are a, a, a prelude to, to full-blown dukkha. <laughs> so then it's, it's sort of you start to say, oh, well, how does that process work? So then that aspect of attachment is the, uh, sort of there's like, uh, desire, craving, thirst. Then we sort of hold on to it tightly, uh, um, grasp after it, feed the, the, the that kind of clinging, and then we're tangled up with it. Uh, so that the attachment is more like, okay, how do I create some space around this? How do I just let that... And, and again, the contemplation of of impermanence is such a uh, a helpful tool of being able to recognize uh, um, however however desirable something appears, however um, uh, kind of reprehensible something seems. Um, oh well, there's that's it's not that solid, it's not that stable. And there's some space for it to change, to dissipate, and then we can be engaged in that that process. Uh, so then we have that opportunity of seeing, you know, where is it that we we attach? Where do we feed this? And how do we how do we relinquish? How do we? And you see, what happens when I put put down? Uh, you, know, you think. 
you know, well, you know, because oftentimes, you know, our attachments are kind of, you know, kind of usually not that major. Um, but then, you know, if you attach to this and hold on to it, and then attach to this and hold on to it, and occur, well, I got something else as well. And then I try to pick up my glass of water and have a drink of water, and then it's just all over the place. You know? <laughs> so it's it's that just that you realize, oh, oh. I'm carrying a burden. How do I? How how can I help myself, and and just put a few things down? So attachment is is a point of investigation that gives us the opportunity to 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 release and relinquish. Okay. Yes. Just a second. We'll get the wait for the mics. So I wonder if you could talk a little more about that that phrase that I've heard attributed to Ajahn Shah before, uh, the one who knows, mm-hmm. in speaking about, like you said something about um, the mind and learn the difference between the, the one who knows and the mind objects. Yep. So, but now the mind, if it's not, when you're talking about the mind and not being objects, um, are you talking about a sort of like aware, uh, sort of like more of a pure awareness type of a thing? I mm-hmm. I don't usually associate that with the mind, but maybe it is. Right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean the the, the uh, I mean part of it is is. Uh, um, um, coming back, let's say, with uh, the, this phrase that comes up in uh, uh, Thai tradition uh, of the uh, um, the one who knows, and that's actually a direct uh, or one of the di- direct translations of the word Buddha. So that Buddha is the one who knows, one who's awakened, one who's radiant. That is the fundamental qualities of of the Buddha. And and always uh, in in practice, when we the Buddha is in say works in terms of uh, say. Yeah, there is a historical Buddha, but there's also a quality of Buddha. See, what the Buddha discovered um, was this capacity of the human heart to know clearly, to be awakened, uh, to to be radiant, and that is a quality that is not. Uh, Say it wasn't patented by the Buddha, and and, and copyrighted, and, and he's going to make some, make a few bucks on it. Uh, it was. Um, it, this is something that he realized. This is something human being, all human beings can access. This is something. This is the capacity of of the within the human condition, and and then his his teachings were. Guidance and encouragement for 
us as human beings to be able to access that. So one of the primary qualities is just this fundamental quality of knowing, just being able to know, knowing hot and cold, knowing uh, happiness and suffering, uh, so knowing external, knowing internal, that fundamental quality of knowing. But then, of course, it, it's, it's, you start to cultivate aspects of discernment and, and investigation and, and using the faculties of, of uh, discernment to, to be able to make choices as to what's really for my true benefit and the benefit of others, because it isn't separate. Uh, so then this, this, so we keep coming back to this fundamental quality of knowing that we can then look after, cherish, give attention to. Uh, and, and that's, that's where our, both our aspiration and, and, and our motivation comes from. Um, yeah, it's also where our frustration and, uh, and, uh, because then you start to recognize, oh wow, I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> so it's, but but then but you've got to handle on it. So that it's really you know it's really encouraging. So this sense of the one who knows is is coming back to an internal sense. Like there was one time a uh, um, there was a monk came to pay respects to uh, another uh, very respected teacher in Thailand, Ajahn Buddhadasa. Uh, and uh, he uh, um, and he came and uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa was known as a great scholar as well as a, 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 a great uh, meditator, practitioner. And, and asked him in more of like a theoretical way what is it that I need to, um, you know, what do I need to, to know and to cultivate in order for me to really fulfill the, the, the Buddha's path? And, but it would, and the way he phrased it, and I think the feel that, that Ajahn Buddhadasa got was, uh, he's coming at it from a, more of a scholarly background and more of a theoretical background. And so his answer was was very skillful. He said, because he turned it back on himself and saying, "What you have to know uh, is the, uh, the say the knowledge and intention that brought you here in the first place to ask that question. And then, so that what is it that pulls us toward something that is?" Peaceful. What is it that pulls us towards something that's true? What is it that pulls us towards something that's compa- compassionate? And it's not just a theory. It's not a sort of you realize. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I now I need to know that and nurture that. Okay. There's a hand right there. I was just wondering this morning, um, 
as I tried to meditate unsuccessfully in my chair like two or three times in a row and just kept drowsing off. Um, I eventually just gave in because I felt like, well, if that's what my mind needs, I'm going to do that. But, um, and I just slept, and then I slept in the car later. But I was wondering if this, if, is that, what I wanted to do was meditate. I came here to practice a little bit and, and have mm-hmm. uh, an experience of concentration and maybe insight. And instead I had, uh, you know, t- <laughs> sleepiness to the max. And I'm wondering... Should in that case, um, is it is that wisdom to simply say, well, I guess I'm sleepy. I'll just sleep and just accept it and be gentle and accepting. Or should is there a trick? Is there a <laughs> is there a skill? Is there a way? You know, when you lift weights, you you push yeah. through the pain and you go. Yeah, yeah, should yeah, I push yeah. through the sleepy and just yeah, kick yeah. ass meditating? Or, you know, that's, that was my question. Yeah. No, because uh, sometimes it's, yeah, it really is wisdom to just know when. Okay, this is this is kind of fruitless, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, and the reality is, is you you went and you you uh, uh, had a bit of a rest and and uh, came back. You're ready for the afternoon. You know, so that that uh, sometimes that's 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 what we need. I mean, it's because uh, you know we set up ideals for ourselves so often. Uh, we set up ideals, and we uh, and then we judge ourselves um, because we're hopeless failures, and you know, <laughs> and and you know, so oh, I just wanted to meditate and be happy. <laughs> you know. So you just have to be attentive to to well, what does what does my body need and what does my mind need and some and part of it is we need to rest uh, and uh, and sometimes like like coming into a a safe peaceful place and sort of oh you can let your guard down but then you know okay really what what's coming up is I'm tired. Uh, so that uh, uh, knowing when to just give us, give oneself that time, uh, and obviously it wasn't your, it wasn't the the uh, uh, you said you you tried a few times, uh, so it wasn't sort of you got got here and sort of I packed it in within five minutes and I'm going back to my car and sleep. <laughs> yeah, so you know, so that you know, sometimes you, you push up against the you push up against the edge. Um, sometime like that, but then sort of no, it's not. It's not moving. Uh, you know, in an ideal world, yeah, I'd be able to sit down, meditate, breathe in, breathe out, be peaceful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's there's these other aspects that that, that you the same with like pain and discomfort. Uh, sometimes pain, you know, people feel oh, I've got to sit and I've got to sit through this. I'm I'm a meditator and. <laughs> And it, it, uh, it, you know, it's just is is uh, it's much more fruitful to to uh, either to to walk, to stand, uh, sit uh, in a, a, a position that is actually more supportive of alertness and not just having to uh, be impinged on with pain, uh, lying down sometimes, uh, so that that uh, uh, these are the uh, things that. The realities that we face 
uh, when we when we when we uh, uh, when we practice. It's just tiredness, sleepiness, pain, discomfort. Um, so that that uh, being able to adapt uh, to that and and hold it in a context of of uh, what can I learn from this? How can I work with this so that it's skillful? One of the kind of the baselines that the Buddha uses in terms of uh, is practice uh, fruitful, beneficial? Is it going in the right direction? Uh, is is there an increase in wholesome mental states or, it, uh, or an increase in unwholesome mental states? Uh, is there a decrease? And so, that, so the increase of wholesome, the decrease of the unwholesome, increase of the skillful, decrease of the, of the unskillful, sort of increase of what's peaceful and clear, decrease of what's agitated and clouded. Um, so, decrease, increase of what's kind of bright, decrease of what's dull. So that that those are kind of guidelines. Of, you know, how do I? What, how do I? Because you have to pay attention to external conditions. Uh, how do I fit into external circumstances? How do I deal with my own? Uh, states of mind and, 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 uh, and you know how to work with that so that it's, it's something to learn from okay speaking of increasing uh, pleasant states I have to say that my experience in the world lately has been troublesome with the number of hateful things people seem to be doing to each other now mm-hmm. And as an individual, you know, I sit in this room and we're all, you know, of one mind and it's pleasant and we can nap or we can munch or we can talk about uh, our practice. But I don't know how to bring it out there and I really don't know how to decrease my anxiety over the uh, omnipresence of the ugliness of some of uh, our human behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think... Uh... The world. The one thing is that it's been pretty. World has been pretty consistent like this for a long time. So it goes in cycles, goes in phases, and uh, uh, that's why the Buddha made a a very explicit encouragement to uh, draw close to good spiritual friendships, and pay attention to the people one associates with because they affect us um, and it's like the uh, um, there's a one of the chants that we do on a regular basis which is a, a, a blessing chant a protection chant and well uh, sort of a multi-purpose and it's actually called it's a discourse that the Buddha gave on the highest blessings and uh, um, the very first line is don't associate with fools second is associate with the wise I mean sort of like right out of the gates of the you know, what do we what do we do what are we who are we associating with uh, and then nowadays with with uh, 
uh, media and media access and, and uh, uh, it's all over the place what are we what are we associating with in terms of um, uh, our contact with media and and information uh, because we have that choice we can make a choice of who do we uh, and so that uh, um, you know sometimes you know, people will will uh, um, for their uh, uh, say their physical well-being uh, go on fasts uh, for your health health benefits of fasts. Um, but I think media fasts are really <laughs> helpful. Uh, just uh, you don't have to know everything. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you're, you just sort of stick your head in the sand and, and it isn't happening, but it's sort of like, how much can I um, skillfully hold uh, so that it's, it's not overwhelming me? And how much, and where do I want to direct my attention so that I can uh, use my time and attention in ways that help the mind. Because if, if I am uh, more uplifted and clear, then I can have a more positive benefit on the people around, uh, around me. So that's just a couple of reflections. There. The mic. There's somebody here. Um, I was wondering, you, you talked about uh, the differentiated between the sense of no self versus annihilation of the self. So I was wondering if you could expand on those two points and then maybe also tie it into the concept of shunya or shunyata uh, more specifically. Uh -huh. sense? Yeah, so the, uh, that sense of... of uh, uh, of course, that the aspect of of self, uh, the uh, the way it manifests is is through those aspects of uh, stances or positions that we take internally, sort of I, uh, sort of I am. Uh, this is me. This is who I am. This is mine. Um, that. Uh, uh, there's a great Beatles song. Is it? I am me mine. I am me mine. I am me mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> this, you know, all through the day, <laughs> that's really like that. This sort of that's the refrain that the, the, the song that keeps us going, <laughs> uh, which is you know it's kind of burdensome and and uh, um, you know kind of narrow actually, uh, and then the. Annihilation of self is that that pushing away in terms of I shouldn't be this way, I don't want the world to be like this, uh, I, I, I don't I, I don't want to exist, I don't feel I should exist. Uh, so there's a, a, a sort of a nihilist bent, 
and uh, so that those are, are, are extremes. And it's that, that, that say, that the not-self of the Buddhas is sort of like a middle way which can, can recognize the, 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 say, the utility of the, the I position or the utility of sometimes, you know, okay, I'm, this needs to be relinquished, better off not propping it up. So then there's a, there's a certain freedom there of, of uh, uh, one can utilize it, or make use of it, but then it's, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not clung to. And that's what emptiness is not a, a metaphysical emptiness um, in, in Buddhism. Or certainly in the in the uh, say in the in the Theravada tradition, um, it's it's not a uh, uh, say uh, uh, a metaphysical ideal. It's it's a functional emptiness is a functional tool of so the the emptiness of of this self position that it doesn't have substance. It doesn't have solidity. Uh, it's not substantial. So then, then it doesn't need to be uh, clung to or propped up. And it can be seen for what it is. Uh, so then there's a lot of freedom in that. Okay? There's, there's a person here. Thank you. There's impermanence that is more obvious to a human being in terms of how long we exist. So a rainbow appears, we know it's just temporary, we appreciate it, it disappears, the causes and conditions change. What's harder is things that occur maybe over the course of our lifetime that we tend to see as permanent. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm wondering if you could offer any reflection on time frames of, of impermanence um, and how we can engage with those longer things that seem so permanent when they're not. Right. I think that's where we, we, we have to rely on because uh, the things that we don't, we can't substantially, concretely see changing then that's where where we have to use our 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 discernment intellect rational thought um, and uh, sort of information from elsewhere and uh, because the uh, um, the Buddha takes it you know, not just from the momentary impermanence of a of a thought process, um, which is incredibly fast, um, but he talks about it in terms of the the impermanence of the arising and ceasing of world systems, those sort are of universes coming into being and passing away. So that that. Uh, uh, sort of more on a um, yeah, a solar system arising and ceasing uh, 
Um, so, but we can't experience that from our, our perspective. But, uh, I mean, it's interesting that, that uh, say, science is, is sort of, and the Buddha talked to that 2,500 years ago, and, uh, and sort of modern science is sort of saying, oh yeah, that's how the universe functions. Uh, uh, so that, that and he, oh, he speaks of it as the expansion and contraction of world systems. So it's like the, that arising and ceasing sort of, so that, that uh, um, seeing that, that on the biggest scale of things, it's impermanent on the smallest scale of things and everything in between. Um, so, but we do need to to use it as a say conceptual level, uh, and but then again, that's the ability of the human mind is that we can take a concept and we can bring it into the heart and experience it. We can feel it. We can get a, a, a sense for what it's pointing to. So that that that's. Uh, uh, some other thing and and things we have to just take on and say okay that's what the Buddha said and um, take it as a, a a theory that we start to investigate and uh, so as as a as a working working hypothesis and say mm, and then you start gathering evidence for that. And the more attentive you are to the evidence, the more you say, wow, everything is really impermanent. Okay. There, we're over here. Yeah. Mic over on this side. Oh. Okay, wherever you... Oh, you've got one. Okay, I great. Got it. <laughs> Go I for it. Okay, I guess. Um, how in the face of impermanence, do we understand the, the concept of the unborn? Um, well, I mean, that's uh, what, like in the, um, what the Buddha points to is that all conditioned things are Impermanent and condition meaning anything that is constructed, fabricated, put together by various conditions, uh, and so that's both mental and physical, external, internal, and that's what's called in, in Buddhist jargon. It's called a sankara. And, but the Buddha also pointed to, uh, you know, there is this unborn, unconditioned element. He calls it an element in the sense that uh, there is a, there is the opportunity to experience uh, that which is uncompounded, unconstructed, unfabricated, unborn. This is, and, and that, that's what Nibbana is. Uh, so that, that is, there is this possibility to experience it. So it's the, 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 uh, let me say, the, uh, the counterpoint 
to uh, to impermanent conditions. <laughs> That's more than you wanted to know, I'll bet. <laughs> That's why, that's why I don't usually talk, it's hard to talk about it in a public setting. But, but uh, there, there, there are, uh, I think it's, it, it is important to, I mean it's something you know, one has to, again, you start te- te- teaching about an ultimate goal, ultimate perspective. Those, these are, these are sort of, okay, what, what, what's the Buddha's, what's his end game? Um, and you know, you know, the end game is not just to to um, put up with the world or put up with uh, the the experience as a human being. But he said, there is something that is transcendent. There is something that is completely liberating. And this is what he what he found, and that's what his teachings are for. Uh, and but it's uh, it's incredibly uh, astute of him to use the skill of learning how to navigate the the compounded, the fa- fabricated, the conditioned world, and that you gain confidence in in the sense that not only uh, not only does that work. There's got to be something more than this. <laughs> There's somebody right behind you. I have kind of a pragmatic question. Um, since these days about impermanence and anxiety, I experience anxiety as excruciatingly physical. Mm-hmm. And I would love to get your insight in how to be more, more skillful with the, the discomfort yeah. As it comes and disappears, but mostly comes right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, that's where, where uh, it's like learning to learning to use the breath, um, so that one can, the, when one is experiencing that uh, kind of the discomfort of anxiety and uh, uh, that 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 sense of of distress that that they feel viscerally, then the because the breath is is a neutral sensation mostly, and then just learning how to use the 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 attention on the breath, and because it's there's that rhythm that we can start to relax the body with, and and sometimes it's. It's helpful to, when you take note of where you're experiencing it most, say, acutely, uh, and sometimes you can go there, but oftentimes it's too much. Uh, but then to get, getting a sense of connection with the, the body and then being able to move attention and breathing into other aspects of the body areas of the body and you start feeling, oh okay that's that that's that's okay 
and you start to, and then you can expand that. So it's like learning how to to find places where you can be comfortable, and then that starts to you gain confidence in that. Oh, this is this is possible. So then you can then it starts to 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 expand to other areas where 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 it is uncomfortable, but you say, okay, can it approach that? Um, so that, that, that's where um, meditation it's, is uh, important to be um, uh, yeah, not too uh, not too technique oriented not too uh, uh, rigid in one's application uh, so that you can you can just shift that attention around, pay attention to the feeling in the body, pay attention to okay, what's my mind going towards? What's it shrinking back from? Um, how can I how can I approach that and be be kind with that? Also, just using um, aspects of of say Buddhist practice. Uh, and I think this is okay, see, see, seeing Buddhist practice as a bigger picture than just a, a meditation or a mindfulness technique, but uh, the just recollections of of generosity, uh, where one recollect, and that's a very common part of say traditional Buddhist practice, just the the the, the recollection of bringing to mind. Uh, the, those times when one has given, has shared, has has been generous, and it feels good. Um, the bringing to mind of of the uh, times when one has has been been uh, been virtuous and and has held to one's integrity, it feels good. Um, paying attention to the times when one's, one has been of service to others. Um, it feels good. Uh, the cultivation of uh, aspects of, uh, say, of uh, say, a, a loving-kindness meditation, uh, as opposed to a, a strict sort of technique of mindfulness of breathing. Or it, can be, it can be incorporated in many different ways. So loving-kindness uh, as a meditation. Uh, recollection of 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 the uh, of the Buddha, of, as a as a devotional uh, object of meditation. These are all traditional meditation techniques. Uh, chanting, which has a uh, uh, you know, it's a way of putting forth energies, focusing the mind, um, but it's not it's not just a silent meditation. Uh, so so you realize oh, I got lots of tools. Okay. okay, one more question. Perhaps. I would like to hear you talk about the void, anything you'd like to talk about in the void, and um, if you would say, is that the unborn, unconditional element of pure potential? Um, well, again, that's similar to the question on emptiness. 
in the sense that that uh, you know I think sometimes the way it's talked about or um, it becomes like a like a metaphysical entity and um, the uh, I don't know about anybody else but you know, the void doesn't seem inspiring to me. <laughs> it doesn't feel like anything. <laughs> so, uh, but, but that, but it, but it's it, it, it it's it's kind of a you know it, it's it, it's found its way into Buddhist terminology, and and I don't feel it's a um, a useful term. Um, because it does tend to elicit that concept of of a yeah like a a, a, a metaphysical entity a thing um, and um, say emptiness or, or voidness even in uh, in in the Buddhist teachings and in the Certainly, in the in the uh, uh, Theravada scriptures, it's always uh, when one speaks of emptiness, it's always relational, uh, in the sense that uh, if uh, and there's a like the uh, one of the discourses I can't remember if it's the the greater or the lesser discourse on emptiness that the Buddha. Uh, 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 uses that theme and develops, and it it, it begins with uh, like the uh, the village being empty of animals and people and whatnot, and it's sort of like it's empty of something, uh, and then it's ta- and then it it's sort of extending that, uh, and then it's but then it's it always comes back to the 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 sense of identity uh, being empty of this focus and identification with body and mind, and so it's sort of it's a relational emptiness. So that then you're 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 giving it's not sort of like a a solid piece of emptiness or a solid piece of voidness. But it's sort of like, oh, this is a, a a way that I can let go of the habit of identifying. So it's a tool. So em- the em- emptiness is 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 one of the tools that we use that help us to set down or or relinquish the ways that we create suffering. Right. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't use it like that. No. No. Uh, it's kind of. Uh, well, and then that goes into another theory. <laughs> That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> but. But yeah, I would I would try to avoid the things that 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 
Yeah, I, avo avoid the void, yeah. <laughs> Don't get sucked in. <laughs> Let's sit quietly. <laughs> We've got our minds spinning with all of this enough. <laughs> okay, sitting quietly. Uh, coming back to something tangible experience of the of the body uh, the feeling of of weight of solidity feeling of comfort of ease just the feeling of the breath coming in and going out. And the experience of knowing. As the breath comes in, just knowing clearly. As the breath goes out, just allow the knowing to be present. recognition that I can know what I'm experiencing. That's the kind of the root basis of our practice. We don't have to analyze it, we don't have to intellectualize it. We don't have to make it into anything. Just being with the knowing. One of the expressions is really the Buddha knowing the Dhamma. And it's just this knowing, this knowing things as they are. It's like this. It seems so simple that we think there's got to be something more than this. 
I've got to know something. When allow the heart to rest, a sense of ease, a willingness to experience the breath, using the breath as a vehicle, tool to connect with this quality of knowing. Work with that, allow it to be a, a catalyst for settling, stilling the heart. <laughs> 